Praise the Lord, everyone. Isn't God good? Can we just give him one hand clap of praise? I um, can tell you I am so moved by his compassion towards us. Sometimes we don't see how there is a way that could be made. Sometimes we just don't, we don't see it. We can't see. And, and yet God, he sees bigger than us. He sees better than us. And in the, in the darkest moment of whatever we are going through, he still is a light. He is a light. Even if we are in darkness, he is a light and can shine in that situation and can reveal things that need to be revealed, can bring things to a place of clarity that we didn't have before. And I'm grateful. I am grateful to him for being a light to us, to our feet, so that we can see where we need to step. And sometimes being with the Lord is like just taking that one small step Sometimes he doesn't shine it so bright that we can see so far into the distance. Sometimes it's just, just for the next step. But if we're walking by faith, I'm grateful that he gives us light for that next step. And the message that I, I've had on my heart, and, and I, I was thinking this morning and I could not get it off of my mind, was actually the the Samaritan woman at the well. And probably it doesn't help the fact that there's this well here and that we're about to do the play. Um, it kind of just puts it in, in your, the forefront of your mind. But I just could not shake myself from the story of the Samaritan woman um, and, and her experience, her encounter with Jesus. And so the title of my message this evening is called Thirsty No More. And I'm taking primary scripture from John chapter 4 and beginning at verse 3. And, I, and I'm not going to go through the entire story of the woman at the well. We'll, we'll touch on some of the scripture. But I, I want to start there with John chapter 4 beginning at verse 3. Just to give some context. And it says, He left Judea, and this is Jesus that we're talking about, and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. And we'll stop right there for just a moment. The first thing I want to I talk about is the journey that Jesus took. The first thing is he was leaving Judea and he was going to go to Galilee. But the Bible says specifically, it wasn't that he was going to go through Samaria. It wasn't that he needed to travel through Samaria in order to get to Galilee. What it says is he needed to go to Samaria. He needed, it was a necessity for him to go to Samaria. And that's the first thing is when, when you are living with the Lord and you go, I don't know if he sees where I'm at. I don't know if he knows what's going on. I'm going to tell you, 
the relationship that we have with the Lord, he is aware of exactly where we're at. And if he needs to go to Samaria to get to us, he will go to Samaria. And the hour of the day is important. It says in the Bible, it was the sixth hour of the day. Now, the sixth hour of the day means that it was about noontime when Jesus was there sitting by that well. So it was hot. If you've been to Israel, if you are in that kind of country where it's mountainous, where there's some desert going on, that's a hot part of the day. That's not the cool part of the day. And so the fact that this woman was coming to the well in the heat of the day should tell us something. Most of the people, if they're going to go to the well, they're going to go either in the early morning when it's cool or in the evening when it's cool. You don't want to go midday. There's no reason to go midday unless you're trying to avoid everybody. Unless you just don't want to see, you just don't want to run into people. And Jesus, he was there at exactly the right time. It was a coincidence. It was, he was there. And the Bible goes on to say, let's go forward. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. So Jesus, he was not even with the rest of his disciples. He specifically went to this well, which I, I did some research. This well, archaeologists believe that they found the location because these springs where the wells are in this land, they, they've been able to find a lot of them. This well was about a quarter of a mile outside of the city. So he was not even close to his disciples. Now, a quarter of a mile for us driving is no distance at all. But you have to remember that most of them are walking. Maybe they ride a donkey. Maybe they ride a horse. Maybe they ride a camel. Maybe they have some form of transportation like that. But th those animals that are carrying them are often not, they're not running. They're not racing to get somewhere. They're just, that's to ease your burden on your legs. So when Jesus was there at the well, that was a little bit out of the way. He wasn't in the city buying meat with the disciples. He could have been. He could have been at a little location and said, I'm going to just stay here while you buy the meat, rest. But he's at a well in the heat of the day. And this woman comes, this Samaritan woman, and she says, he says to her, Give me a drink. And then she says, how come, why are you even talking to me? Why are you even, why are you even having a conversation with me? I mean, I'm a woman. That's a full stop. And of Samaria. The Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. So she didn't know who he was, but she knew he was a Jew. She knew he was a man. She knew that there's no intermingling. There's not conversation between men and women, and especially men and women of Samaria. Why are you talking to me? 
And let me give you a little background on the Samaritans because I, I, I did the research on the Samaritans. The Samaritans were part Jewish, but the Jews considered them dogs because they were, they were only part. And not only were they only part, but they had this whole ongoing feud about where, where are you supposed to be worshiping? They had a whole different theology of, you know, where did Moses receive uh, the, the word? Where did that happen? They had a different idea of what that was. And so it was like, so the Jews were like, not only are you a dog, you, you are completely in violation of the word that we know to be true. You, you don't even believe in Jerusalem. You believe that you're supposed to worship on this other. So you're, you are the lowest of the low. You're a mongrel. That's how the Jews viewed Samaritans at large. They just did. So this woman was going, I don't even know why you're talking to me. And see, the first thing that you have to know about Jesus is when he talks to you. He speaks in spirit and in truth. That's what he does. When Jesus comes your way, when he decides that he's going to say something to you, you know it's going to be in spirit and in truth. So go ahead to the next verse. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So he immediately gives her spirit and truth. He says, listen, if you had known who it was asking you, if you, if you knew who I am, you'd be saying, will you please give me a drink? You give me something. So see, this is Jesus offering her a cup. He's offering her a drink. Go ahead. The woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Now, this is the interesting part about this dialogue that she's having with Jesus. She is still talking to him. She is still, she's engaged in this conversation with him. In any other scenario, she could have said, I, I, I don't even want to talk to you. You sound like a fool. You sound crazy. I, I'm out of here. I came literally at noontime not to run into people. And now I'm having this conversation with you I didn't want to have. I clearly, I didn't want to have a conversation with anybody. Do you see why the time that I'm here? I just want to get my water and get out of here. But that is not what happened. Instead, she sees this cup that Jesus is offering her. She, this figurative cup, and she's intrigued by it. And so she's, she's going, what, what are you talking about? How, tell me about this. How can you draw water? Go ahead. Art thou greater than our father Jacob? which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Now, now let me tell you, this conversation was not on accident either. Because this conversation is a reminder of, we're kind of kinfolk here. Jacob's our father. He gave us this well. Do you remember I'm a Samaritan? We got a little feud going on. I mean, she's, she's giving some information here that if it were just a normal Jewish man, he'd go, yeah, you're right. Actually, Jacob's not even your father. You're a dog, and you can 
get out of here because I'm going to get my own. You, you should get me some water and, and get on your way, you dog. Jacob, you can call Jacob, but I'm the seed of Abraham. How about that? Go ahead. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, see, this is what's cool is Jesus could have engaged in this physical argument that was going on. He could have engaged in this superficial battle between Samaritans and Jews because this is really what she was talking about. She was talking about the stuff, it'd be the, the cultural issues of the day. So if, if, if you were to run into somebody and go, you know, well, are you Democrat or are you Republican? It's about what it was like. She was engaging in like, what, where do you stand on this? You know, what, what's your feeling about, what's the word woke do for you? She was engaging in hot topics. And what Jesus was doing was he said, I'm going I'm to stay on my topic. My topic was, you're going you're gonna to get thirsty again if you drink from this. But if you drink from what I have, you're not going to thirst again. He didn't even engage in, in that. He, his conversation was, I'm going to talk about spirit and truth. And so the next verse. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Again, she doesn't get it. She's like, I want, I don't want to have to thirst anymore. That's great. What magic solution? You tell me where it is. I want that. I don't want to have to come back here again. Look, I'm already trying to avoid people. If I don't have to thirst again, this would be, be good for everybody. I don't have to come out in the heat of the day. I can just stay in my little, my little corner, often, you know, sidecar. I, I don't even have to go to the well anymore. And so she's, she's still, her conversation, I mean, she's getting closer. It's like getting warmer, getting warmer. But she's not there yet. She's still, she's still thinking about this in a, in a very physical sense. Go ahead. And so Jesus, this is where he goes. This is where, like, the truth darts her right in the heart. She, he says, he doesn't even answer a question about the water. He says, go get your husband. Tell him to come here. <gasps> Go ahead. And the woman said, oh, I don't have a husband. And you, could, you can imagine this conversation where she's going, I don't know what I want to say to this. I'm just going to say I don't have one. And Jesus, because he is truth, with a capital T, he goes, yeah, you, you said right that you don't have a husband. In fact, you had five. And the one you're living with now, he's not your husband. So yeah, you said, you said correctly. <gasps> I 
and her response, I perceive you are a prophet. Now, that is the first moment when she said, I'm going to take this cup. Because you see, when confronted with spirit and with truth, in that moment, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes when Jesus comes to us, he says stuff to us that we go, oh, you're right. And either in that moment, either we are going to say, I'm going to take that cup and I'm going to drink what you're giving me. Or we go, uh-uh, no, sir, no, sir. In this moment, she had two options. Either she could have said, absolutely not. I reject you. I don't care who you think you are. You're not going to say anything to me. And she didn't even have to say that out loud. She could have just said, see ya. Bye. You know, bye, Felicia. <laughs> I'm out of here. I don't know what you, who you think you are, but I'm gone. But instead, what she did was she said, you're a prophet. Go ahead. And then she goes back, you see, because now she's confused. She's like, I, I got to get back to our main argument here. Our main argument is, what do you believe? Like, what's your, what's your, what's your politics here? What's your politics? Like, can we go back to politics? Tell me about where, you know, we believe we worship here. You believe you worship here. You, t you tell me what you think about that. And then what does Jesus say? He goes, let me tell you what, there's going to be a time. Go ahead. Their hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Go ahead. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Go ahead. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Go ahead. And the woman said, I heard about the Messiah coming. And when he comes, I know he's going to tell all things. And so what does Jesus say? I am he. I'm the one. I'm the guy. That's all he says. And next verse. And then his disciples, they come up at this moment and they're like, why is he talking to her? What is going on? They didn't ask, but, they, but they're thinking it. They're thinking it. They didn't ask out loud, like, what is going on? Go to the next verse. And then this is the key. The woman then left her water pot and went into the city and saith to the men, Come, 
See a man which told me all things that, I, that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? In this moment when there was spirit and truth confronted in front of her, she had a choice that she was either going to go, I, I, I don't like what you're saying about me. I don't like how you're putting this. I don't like how you're calling me out on this. Or she could say, you know, you're right. You're right about that. You are right. And, and she still was confused. It was still a confusion for her because she's like, you know, I'm going to get back into what we're talking about. Where do we worship? What's going on? And Jesus then tells her, hey, there's a time when it doesn't matter. And in giving her that truth, she received that cup and drank it. And when she did, she had a conversion experience. And that that conversion experience is only brought about by spirit and truth. And so the Greek word for spirit is pneuma. That word, that Greek word, is used in the Bible several different times. But notably, when, when the Lord says the only way you're going to worship, the hour comes where you're going to worship true worshipers in spirit and in truth. Acts 2.38 it says, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of Numa. Of Numa. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the pneuma and spake the word of God with boldness. When we are truly worshiping in spirit, we receive the pneuma. We receive the Holy Ghost, and it speaks truth into our lives. And, it's, and the truth we, we either choose to let it impact us and say, I'm going to let it take root in me no matter how painful the truth may be. I want it. Or we can reject it and say, no, I want none of this. And yet Jesus in his kindness, he even came to the Pharisees. You can see a completely different, a completely different response when Jesus went to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. It says, so Jesus said to those Jews who, believe, who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, I'm reading it in Amplified, this is King James, and that's fine. If you abide in my word and hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In this conversation that Jesus is having with the scribes and the Pharisees, when they heard this word, do you know what they said? How dare you say we would be set free? We are the children of Abraham. We have never been in bondage. We have never been enslaved. Now we know factually that that's not true anyway from a historical perspective. But they're so proud Jesus is offering them a cup of spirit and truth and saying, my truth will set you free. How dare you? How dare you confront me? 
How dare you say that I'm in bondage? How dare you call me out on whatever it is that I'm doing? How dare you? And Jesus said, a slave is never free unless he is set free and liberated. And if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I cannot believe that you would say such a thing. Let me tell you, what struck me is in John chapter 4, you read this encounter with this little woman that Jesus has, how many verses it takes for Jesus to convince her. So few. So few to talk to her in spirit and in truth and for her to just say, you're right, you're right. I am a dog. I am the worst. And I need help. But you see, with the Pharisees, it was, it was verses and verses and verses of him trying. Him trying to convince them. Him trying to say, let me tell you something else. And they would say, no, how dare you? And anger and just the attitude would come out. And I'm offended and I can't believe you would say this. And I can't believe that you would have this statement to me. And Jesus continued to try. He tried and he tried and he tried. You read it in John chapter 8 again and again and again and the response over and over and over again was anger and frustration and offense. And I cannot believe that you would say this. But Jesus was still trying. And he goes, I'm going to give you truth. I'm going to give you truth. I'm going to give you truth. And what happened? Jesus said, listen, I came to you and you didn't receive me. You received me not. You didn't take anything about me. And, and you know what they finally did? John chapter 8 and verse 48, just to give you context on the little Samaritan woman. John 8 and verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art, thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus, who just went to a Samaritan woman, gave her life, gave her hope. These Jews are saying, we know who you are. You are a dog. You're a Samaritan. You are a Samaritan. You have a devil. The truth is not in you. They were basically cussing him out. Calling him anything, everything but, but kind that they could think of. And yet, even at that moment, Jesus still, he still tried to turn it around. He still tried to say, please take my cup of truth. Let me tell you something else. He continued in the discourse with them until they decided they were going to try to pick up stones. That's the only time that Jesus stopped. And that is what's amazing because when you receive, you see the truth in you. When you take that drink and you go, but it's, sometimes it's bitter. But you can feel the love in it. And that's what the Samaritan woman felt. She said, this cup is bitter, but I know there's love inside of this. And when she received it, when she said, I'm drinking that down, 
It's a conversion experience. There's nothing else she could do but say, I got to testify right now. She then left the thing that she came there for. She didn't even get her water. She left her jug. It wasn't important anymore. She wasn't thirsty anymore. She said, I got to go tell everybody. And you know what the Bible says? It says she ran into the town and told the people. It does not say she told her friends and acquaintances and family. She told the people. These same people that she was ashamed of. These same people that she was trying to avoid. These same people that she was coming in the heat of the day. So she didn't have to even run into them. I met Jesus. You got to... He told me everything about me. You got to come meet Jesus. You don't know. He is the Messiah. You got to come meet Jesus. He's changed me. Because when you receive truth, there's nothing else you can do. It's a conversion experience. It takes you over. You have to testify. Or you have to throw stones. One or the other. Either you receive that truth into yourself and you have to testify, it changes you, it moves you, it, it makes you different. Or it's going to bring you to stone throwing. It's going to bring you to throw stones. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. I'm reading it in the Amplified. So then... We may no longer be children tossed like ships to and fro between chance gusts of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine. The prey of the cunning and the cleverness of unscrupulous men, gamblers engaged in every shifting form of trickery, in inventing errors to mislead, rather let our lives lovingly, lovingly, Express truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, enfolded in love. Let us grow up in every way and in all things into him who is called the head, even Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. For because of him, the whole body, the church in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, when each part with power adapted to its need is working properly in all its function, grows to mature to full maturity, building itself up in love. Even though the truth sometimes can hurt, when you receive it from Jesus, it's always in love. It is always in love. And it builds us in that love to sustain us to the end. You can say, well, I, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm going to tell you, the woman, she was trying to talk to Jesus about all the stuff. He said, none of that matters. None of that matters. He didn't even get into it with her. He didn't get into it with her about her husbands. He didn't get into it with her about, you know, what's going on in your daily. What he said was, I've got water. 
I've got water for you. And if we can get past all the junk in our own lives and say, you know what, none of that even really matters because if I can just get to that water, if I can just get to that well, I'm not going to thirst anymore. I won't thirst anymore. And he is not ashamed of us. He had to go to Samaria. He needed to go to Samaria. And because of that little woman running through the city, you read it in John chapter 4, so many Samaritans came and were convinced in Jesus being the Messiah, and they were converted. And revival happened in Samaria because of that little woman running through the city, through people that she, she was embarrassed, she was ashamed, she wasn't living right. But that was not more important than the truth that she received. And she was girded by that truth. And you can say, well, is it going to hold me? Is it going to hold me to the end? I'm going to tell you, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth. Let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us, looking away, from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief and is also the finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. Reckon up and consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you don't grow weary or exhausted. Losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. He doesn't want us to think of our trials and say they're meaningless compared to his. He wants us to be girded up by his. To say, you went through this so that I could make it to the end. And we have to remember it's not by our might, nor by our power, but by his spirit. And they have overcome and conquered him by means of the blood of the lamb and by the utterance of their testimony. For they did not cling and love this life even when faced with death, holding their lives cheap, Till they had to die for their witnessing. Right now, Jesus has a cup of truth, spirit and truth. 
sometimes it tastes bitter. And I'm so grateful for the love that he has in that cup. Because it converts us. It restores us. It renews us. And it's sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb if the musicians would come. If we could all just stand. I don't know what season you are in. I know that we have all been in so many different seasons of trial and of hardship. But I feel like tonight Jesus is saying to us, it doesn't matter what the trial is. It doesn't matter the details. I'm here with a cup. I'm here with a drink. (laughs) And I will refresh you. And I'm grateful for the refreshing. (laughs) Because it doesn't matter what it is. He knows. And he knows the answer.